Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 22. There we have a summary of God's word as follows. What does the resurrection of the body offer you? Not only shall my soul after this life immediately be taken up to Christ my head, but also this my flesh, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. What comfort do you receive from the article about the life everlasting? Since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. After the sermon, we will sing together from hymn 75 to stanzas 1, 2, and 3. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, this afternoon we have come to Lord's Day 22, which deals with a topic that is dear to our hearts. It deals with the life hereafter, with eternal life. It is a popular topic with us, and so we discuss it frequently. But this doctrine also leaves us with many questions. We are told, for example, that our soul is going to be reunited with our bodies. What does that mean? What is a soul? It also has us think about eternal life. What is eternal life like? When does it begin? What's, what's it going to be like in the life hereafter? Well, that's what I'll preach to you about this afternoon. It's about our body and soul and the life hereafter. That's also the theme. And in considering this, we will examine, first of all, the unity of body and soul. Secondly, the, uni re the reunification of body and soul. And then finally, eternal life. Answer 57 uses the words body and soul. It says that when we die, our soul will be taken up to heaven and our body will go to the grave. At the day of judgment, they will be reunited. Only this time, body and soul will be without sin or the effect of sin. That's the answer that is given. And that seems like a straightforward and simple answer. And indeed, the Catechism also gives us a true reflection of what the Bible teaches. But that still leaves us with questions. God created man to be an inquisitive creature. As we also saw this morning, the problem is that man wants to reason things out on his own, and he wants to go beyond Scripture. 
Man wants to base his ideas not on what God reveals, but on what he experiences and observes. And from that, he wants to reason things out. And so instead of relying on scripture, man relies on worldly philosophy. Theologians also are prone to that, and they continue to be prone to that. Philosophers have thought extensively about the relationship between body and soul. Reams and reams of books have been written on the subject. In the past, theologians were especially influenced by the ancient Greek philosopher Plato. What Plato taught appears at first glance to be very close to what the Bible teaches concerning the relationship of body and soul. What did Plato and his followers teach? They taught that the soul was a separate entity from the body. That is to say, they taught that man is made up of two parts. He is made up of a body, and he is made up of a soul. The body was seen as evil, and the soul as good. And the soul is imprisoned in the body. The only way to escape that prison would be by denying the flesh and concentrating on spiritual things. In that way, the soul would become light and would rise into heaven, rise into heaven. Plato, from him we get the expression platonic relationship. A platonic relationship is one that is on a spiritual level only. There is no physical expression in such a relationship. Plato taught that the more you concentrated on the spiritual, the more godlike you would become. Is that what the Bible teaches? Is that how we become godlike? Of course, we have to deny the flesh and we have to think about spiritual things. But does that mean that the body as such is evil? That even fleshly desires are evil? No. And does that mean that therefore there is also to be a total separation between body and spirit, body and soul? Does the Bible teach the same thing as Plato and his followers did? Not at all. It actually teaches something quite different. And what it teaches you may surprise you. In the first place, when the scriptures speak about the soul of a man, they refer to his total existence. For when the Bible speaks about the soul of a person, it refers to the whole man or the whole woman. We read, for example, in Genesis 2, verse 7, that when God created man, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Actually, in the original, it says that he became a living soul. As soon as God gave Adam that breath, he became a living soul. His soul was not something that was apart from his body. No, all of Adam became a living soul. The word nephesh is used throughout. 
And that is why the scriptures can also say, as they do in Genesis 46, verse 27, that all the members of Jacob's family which went to Egypt consisted of 70 souls. Oh, well, sure, the NIV speaks here about the members of the family. But here again, in the original language, the reference is here to 70 souls that left for Egypt. The Bible also speaks about the soul that eats. And it speaks about the soul that sins. And even the soul that dies. When the scriptures speak about the soul of a person, then it speaks about him or her in a way that he or she lives and breathes and eats and drinks. And the scriptures also tell us that a high priest was not allowed to touch a dead soul. A dead soul refers to a body which no longer has the breath in it. To a person who is physically dead. That is a dead soul. That's to say the whole person is dead. The scriptures can also speak about the soul of a man or a woman in a more restricted sense. It can also speak about the heart or to the inner person or to the emotions or to the feelings or the cognitive function of a person. The Lord says in Deuteronomy 11 verse 18, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds, tie them as symbols on your heads and bind them on your foreheads. Other translations refer to the heart and soul, making the soul parallel with the heart. But that's also what it says in the Hebrew language. And so here again it speaks about the soul that is within a person. As it says in Psalm 103, verse 1, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. In this way of speaking, the soul also refers to the emotions and to the understandings that reside within a person and within his mind. That is why the Lord Jesus can also say in Matthew 26, verse 38, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And so when the scriptures speak about our soul, they speak about something that is actually perishable. The soul refers to our total being. In that sense, each one of us is a living being. That is, each one of us is a soul. But each one of us is therefore also a sinful soul. For that reason, our very souls must die. For our emotions, our feelings, our understanding, and everything about us, our total being, is corrupted by sin. And therefore, all of us has to die. For there has to be total renewal. And that is only possible through death. For that reason, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 36, How foolish what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. 
It refers to the death of a man. Total renewal can only take place if you die first. Man's body, man's total existence, that is, his very soul must die. For both the soul indicating our inner being and the body indicating our outer being have nothing of any value to them. Man in his totality is utterly corrupt, whereas, whereas man is totally evil, God is totally good. And good and evil cannot exist together. And that's something that the Old Testament believer already had to understand. The Israelites had to know about their own sinfulness and at the same time about God's holiness. For that reason, in the Old Testament, numerous regulations were put into place to prevent the priests from sacrificing before the presence of the Lord in a casual way. If, for example, a priest was unclean in any way, he was not allowed to serve before the Lord. And there were many ways in which he would be considered unclean. For example, if he had any bodily discharge or if he had just touched a dead body. There are also many regulations about the sacrifices themselves. The sacrificial animals were not allowed to have any perceivable blemishes or bruises or other imperfections. For, says the Lord, I am a holy God. In other words, I am perfect. I am pure. Moses himself understood about the holiness of God before he was even given these regulations. When the Lord appeared to Moses in the burning bush, Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. He was afraid because otherwise he might die. He understood that God was holy and that he was too unholy, too sinful to be in his presence. Because of the regulations that God put into place and the way that he dealt with his people, the people were keenly aware of the ways that God could not be approached by a sinful man. They knew, for example, that if they touched the ark, that, which represented the presence of the Lord, that if they would touch that ark, that they would die. And also that happened once in their history, numerous times actually. The Lord God shows in many ways that he is a holy God and that he may not be approached by a sinful man. And so, if you want to dwell with God, if you hope to be in the presence of his holiness, then you need to be totally renewed, body and soul, there has to be a total renewal of every aspect of our existence, including our soul. And so we need to die. When we die, our bodies, you might even say our souls, are put into the ground. All of us dies. Paul compares our bodies to a seed. For like a seed, our body, our dead soul, will be put into the ground. It is dead, 
but it will come up as something totally new. Sin will no longer cling to it. That's what the resurrection of the body is all about. Now, no doubt, you have a lingering question in your mind. How then can the catechism speak of our soul being reunited with our body? If body and soul are that closely connected, how then can there be a separation of body and soul? Well, that's not too difficult to understand. But again, you have to let the scripture speak. The Bible speaks about life and death in, essential two, in essentially two different ways. And no doubt you're also aware of that. For that's also what the Lord Jesus did. At one time he said to one of his would-be followers who wanted to follow the Lord Jesus, but who first wanted to go and bury his father, leave the dead to bury their own dead. Twice the word dead is used. But it is clear that in both instances, the same meaning cannot be attached to the word dead. Someone who was physically dead would not be able to go out and bury someone who is already dead. No, in the first reason, in the first instance, the Lord speaks about those who are spiritually dead. Let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. Same manner, the Apostle Paul also speaks when he says in 1 Timothy 5, verse 6, to the widow who would live a self-indulgent life, that she is dead even though she lives. She is dead even while she lives because she lives her life outside of the true life, which you can only find through the Holy Spirit. For listen to what the Lord Jesus says in John 5, verse 25. He says, I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Lord Jesus obviously does not speak of those who have already been laid in the grave. Indeed, they cannot hear. But he is speaking about those who are spiritually dead. Even though they have ears that are fully functioning, they nevertheless are the ones who don't hear because they're spiritually dead. They have rejected God in this life, and if they do not repent, they will continue in their non-existence also when they physically die. Sometimes the scriptures even speak about this as the second death. That's done, for example, in Revelation 21. There the second death refers to the final death. For then repentance is no longer possible. For if you die as a spiritually dead person, then you will also be eternally dead. And therefore also when it comes to our life, the scripture speaks about our lives in two ways. Our physical life, which ends when we are put into the grave, and our spiritual life, which we have in Christ, and which never ends. Our physical life will come to an end, for we will all die. Unless, of course, the Lord comes again when we are still physically alive. But normally speaking, we will all die. 
believer and unbeliever alike. But what is eternal life? And what about our soul that will be reunited with our body? Well, now we have laid the basis. The Catechism says that we now already have the beginning of eternal joy. In other words, we have eternal life now already. For now already we are alive with Christ. And it is that life in Christ that will never ever end. That essentially refers to our soul. For our soul refers to our whole life with Christ, to the eternal breath that we have with Christ. That, brothers and sisters, is the true life that we have. And that is the true soul that we have. And that life we live as such souls will never end. But it is a life that you now already possess. That's also what the Lord Jesus says in John 5, verse 24. We read that together. He said, whoever hears my voice and believes in him who sent me, and here it comes, has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. So you have eternal life as soon as you believe. The Catechism tells us that after resurrection, our souls will be reunited with our bodies. In other words, brothers and sisters, the lives which we then live will be lived as spiritual bodies. Then our total life will be for the Lord our God. As the Apostle Paul says, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. The natural body is the physical body. It is the body in which we live now. But after the resurrection, it will be a spiritual body. In other words, it will be a body that is totally in tune. It is a body that is totally dominated by the Spirit of God. And that is a totally renewed life. And that is a life that will never perish. For those spiritual bodies will never die or decay. And then our thoughts, our minds, and everything within us will be completely dedicated to the Lord. At that time, there will be no more misconceptions about anything nor will there be any more any rebellion against our Father in heaven. Our lives will be in total harmony with the Lord our God. And then our souls and our bodies will no longer be in conflict. In other words, our flesh will not lead us astray any longer. And then there will be no more alienation from God. There will be no more alienation from others or from ourselves. No alienation from the world either. Then it will be truly so that our souls, that is, our lives will be in total and absolute harmony with every aspect 
of our functioning. And in this way, the imperfect will make way for the perfect. Currently, we may look at our bodies and see all the imperfections, and especially as you get older, you become more aware of them. And we can look at our scars that we have acquired over the years and see and experience the missing parts through surgery or accidents. And we can think about the pain that we currently feel in our bodies because of arthritis and the various other ailments we may have to endure how we can suffer in our bodies. But then you have to remember from what the Lord Jesus Christ has delivered us. He also suffered. He suffered greatly, not only in spirit, but also in body. His body was severely beaten. He was whipped. They put on his head a, a crown of thorns. He sweat blood. His body was driven until he was totally exhausted. He almost fainted from pain and exhaustion when he had to carry his cross to Golgotha. And yet at that point, his suffering was still far from over. For then still came the hammer and the nails with which they pierced his hands. And the wounds in his hands had to bear the weight of his body. His body was racked with pain. But three days later, the Lord Jesus rose again and he stood before his disciples. He had risen from the dead. At that time, his body still wore the scars of his battle on earth. Thomas could still lay his hands or lay his hands into the holes where his nails had been. I doubt, however, that our bodies will still bear the scars of our life on earth. Christ still bore the scar so that the disciples would recognize him without a doubt. But then we see a description of the Lord Jesus as given in Revelation 1. And there we have a description of his glorious body, a body full of splendor. And that is also the way it will be for us. Christ's resurrection means our glorious resurrection. Then we will no longer have to suffer in the flesh. Our bodies and our souls will be totally renewed. What a wonderful prospect. And what a tremendous comfort for you and for me. It is in the glorified body that the believer will continue to exist forever and ever in the unity of body and soul. But what about now? Is this something we can only look forward to? That's what some people think. They think that only after this life you have total perfection and eternal bliss. Only then will you no longer have to be afraid of any harm coming your way, for then you will no longer sin, then there will be no more pain, no more death, no more disappointments, no tears, no strife. Anything that is unpleasant will have been done away with. Now we live in a sinful world, then we will live in a perfect world, a world without sin. However, as the Catechism says, we have the comfort of the renewal of life now already. Don't think that change place, takes place only after this life. 
change does and must take place already in this life. As we saw, there is continuity between this life and the next. And that is your life with Christ. And if you do not have a life with Christ now, you will not have it in the life hereafter either. What does it mean to have eternal joy? Well, it means having God's laws written on your heart and mind. And when you keep God's laws, then you have already a foretaste of the peace that you can experience in the life hereafter. But what happens after we die? What about the state of our existence between our physical death and the actual resurrection on the last day? Well, also in this respect, we again must speak only the words of the scriptures. We do not know exactly how we will continue until that final day of judgment when the Lord will come again to raise our bodies from the grave. But we do know that the eternal life which has begun in this life will never be interrupted, not for a moment, not for a split second. We may be sure that as soon as we draw our last breath here on this earth, that as soon as we close our eyes for the last time, that then our eyes will be opened up at the other end of the grave, and that then we will see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in his heavenly glory. For then sin will have been done away with. Then we may dwell with him. Then there are no longer any barriers. And that's what the Lord Jesus also promised to the murderer on the cross, he said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. The Lord left him no doubt, and he leaves you and me no doubt either. We too may have that great comfort, brothers and sisters. We may enjoy the great comfort and joy of the knowledge of eternal life. We have something great to look forward to, don't we? In the words of the Catechism, I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. Nobody in this life knows exactly what a great and wonderful thing awaits us. And what our loved ones who have died in the Lord are experiencing right now. Now we only have a small beginning of that knowledge. But then we will know in full. And what a great day that will be, brothers and sisters. And what a wonderful thing to look forward to. All of us may celebrate today the wonderful news of the gospel. And that's why we're sitting here in our best clothes. We're celebrating and we're looking forward to renewed life. We may experience it now, but we may experience it 
in fullness in the life hereafter. What a wonderful God we have. Amen.